Good morning. It's good to be with y'all. It's nice to be in a state that's far west of the southeast, but not so far west that people don't look at you that weird when you say y'all, which is nice. We went to seminary in St. Louis, and that was far enough north where people looked at us weird. Um, it is good to be here with you. We love being at Norman, love being at OU. Uh, when I was saying Auburn is kind of like the OSU, really of the state of Alabama, because it's like the agricultural engineering school, and there's this other school that, is, that will not be named in the state that has colors kind of like OU, but we try to remind ourselves it's crimson and cream, not white, even though OU's cream is pretty much always white. But Norman is definitely cooler than Tuscaloosa. Um, it's good to be with y'all. It's fun seeing uh, a lot of OSU faces that I recognize from doing trips together. OSU has beat us in Bedlam Tug of War at RUF Summer Conference for the last two years. And like, my students are like so upset about it. They like talk about it all the time. It's actually really sad, so. But don't go easy on them. They, they would be mad, they would be mad. <laughs> so that's gonna be the selling point for how I'm gonna recruit students to the conference. It's fun being in this new building with you. Last time we were here, y'all were in the school still. This would have been more than a year ago. So beautiful building. Um, so thankful to be part of the body of Christ with you. Uh, where we can even overcome, you know, these earthly rivalries of orange and crimson. We can just like transcend that together. Um, even though I do really want to go to a Bedlam game sometime while I'm at OU. Uh, thank you for the ways you do love uh, and pray for um, for college ministry, for RUF at OSU and at OU uh, and elsewhere. Thank you for partnering in mission together. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for giving. Um, this church supports us, and we're so thankful. So today we're jumping into uh, Matt, into Matthew 3, into Matthew 4, the temptation of Jesus, um, which is really appropriate going into Lent as Jesus is tempted for 40 days in the wilderness, fasting and praying and the time of Lent is uh, a season of 40 days uh, where we soberly take account of our lives before the Lord. So it's good for us to look at this passage. And also chose it because we looked at it uh, last semester in our large group Bible study at OU as we were talking about relationships. And specifically this passage being about relating to yourself. Which may sound sort of strange... Uh, but we all relate to ourselves. We all have this inner voice that's always building us up or tearing us down. Um, there is someone that we carry around with us uh, that when we go by ourselves speaks to us words of grace or words of pain uh, and shame. And uh, even though God created us to relate, to relate to him and to one another and to ourselves, shame has undercut all of that. It's the devil's first and greatest weapon. Is the one he used against Adam and Eve in the garden. It says to us, I am unacceptable. I am shameful. I need to hide. And sometimes we can say all the right things about Jesus. We can know the right things. We can come to church and confess the right things, but the way we live it out betrays, really, whether or not we're truly trusting in him. Is this a God who really cares about me? The question I want us to keep in mind as we look at this text is, do I matter? I mean, do I really matter? What is my purpose in the world? Does God have me here for a reason? 
does God actually value me? Do I have a reason to value myself? So let's read this text together, starting in verse 16 of chapter 3. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning together to be in your word. Lord, would you come and meet us? Would you give us comfort? Would you give us hope and healing? We need your Holy Spirit to be with us, Lord. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen. One thing that's so interesting about this passage is the striking contrast between the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. That's why I wanted to read that transition so you can see how Matthew puts this together. Um, In verses 16 and 17, Jesus is looking great. His ministry has just started. Um, He's been baptized. He's had the Holy Spirit descend on him publicly. He literally has had like a mountaintop experience, a great spiritual experience, uh, and has really had his calling affirmed, and he's feeling very confident. But then immediately, that same spirit takes Jesus out into the wilderness, and he's tempted by the devil. It's like, this is a downer, from like the very high to the very low, lowest place he could be, out in the wilderness with the devil. And if you look at this through the lens of Jesus understanding his identity, if we understand that Jesus is fully human as well as fully God, then you have to, we have to think that this would be very jarring for Jesus. Wait, I thought God loved me. What's happening? How did I end up here? And God let Satan test him. When I was about six years old, my family uh, went to Disney World, and uh, I let my father test me. I, uh, thinking myself as like pretty big and like pretty courageous as a six-year-old, I felt like I had to like prove to my dad that I could ride any ride he asked me to. You know, so I was like, uh, "It's a small ride after all." Like, yeah, whatever. Like, we can do that for my little sister. And then, you know, kind of escalating, like the Peter Pan ride, like you're up in the air. My dad's like, Scott, are we going to do the Peter Pan ride? I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. And then we get to Space Mountain, and I can hear the screams, you know, inside this dark room. And uh, my dad is saying, Scott, we're going to do Space Mountain? And I said yes. 
and I didn't know why. I got on the, in the roller coaster. If you've done the ride, like, you don't even sit next to the person. You sit single file. So I'm in the front just staring into the abyss. And my dad's behind me, and I just closed my eyes the entire time. And my dad's just laughing behind me the whole time. And, uh, and I'm just thinking, I thought my dad loved me. I guess I have to prove myself to him. Sometimes our past experiences can, that are actually more scarring than this one, because I can look back and say, yeah, that was awesome. Like, I did Space Mountain. I could go home and tell my friends about it. But some of us, in, a lot, uh, in some way or another, have past experiences that are actually much more, deep, more deeply scarring. And where it really brings into question, uh, maybe, do my, parents, do my parents really love me? Uh, do my friends love me? But maybe even more, uh, does God love me? I feel like he's testing me and I don't see the purpose in it. And our past experiences can scar us and make us react to life in the present like we have to prove ourselves. And isn't that so much of what we see in our, the world around us is people trying to prove themselves. In the movie Batman Begins by Christopher Nolan, like early thousands movie, I had to ask my students if they saw it because I just assumed they're like so young they don't remember anything I saw. And they're like, yeah, Scott, like we've seen Batman Begins. I was like, okay, that's good. Batman Begins opens, it opens with Bruce Wayne, who eventually becomes Batman. He's a child. He's with his friend Rachel, and they're playing in the backyard at his parents' house. And Bruce falls into this deep, dry well. He falls into this well, and as he looks shivering into the darkness, this huge, terrifying swarm of bats just comes out of the cave, and it swirls around him. And, and he just covers his eyes, and he's terrified, and he's screaming until his dad pulls him out of the cave by a rope. And this childhood experience leads to him growing up with this phobia of bats. Every time he sees bats or something that reminds him of bats, it kind of takes him back to that cave. Uh, and it's so, it scares him so much when his family goes to an opera and there's a scene where there's people dressed in bats dancing around the, the stage. Uh, it causes Bruce to get really scared and they have to get up and leave the opera. And it's as they leave the opera um, that his parents are mugged by bandits and murdered in front of him. It's a really sad scene at the very beginning of this movie. And what had started as a childhood fear now became something that was tragic and that defined him. Bruce's fear of this, this just creature had become something more. So it became something deeply shameful to him, it became his identity, and it trapped him, making him feel scared and angry and guilty. And so that, you know, you, this is how you see Bruce Wayne stepping in to like, I want to go fight injustice. I need to prove myself. I need to prove myself um, that I was worth it, that I didn't cause my parents' death. And in our own way, we believe we have to craft our own significance in the world. We all have these things that follow us around, these voices that we're either aware of or sort of subconscious that make us try to prove ourselves. And that's exactly what Satan is touching on when he confronts Jesus in the wilderness. Though Jesus is without sin, we know he's fully human. He's been tempted in every way that we are. Satan sneaks in there when Jesus is weak. He's been fasting. He's hungry. He tries to undermine what the Father has literally just told him about his significance. It's significant that he's called the devil here. Greek word is diabolos, it means accuser. And that's really what's going on, going on here. It's like Satan is taking Jesus to court, and he's saying, like, I'm going to accuse you before the judge. 
prove yourself. And he hits Jesus with these three temptations or accusations, which are really the fundamental temptations that we all face. That's what I want us to see uh, when it comes to relating to ourselves. Henry Nouwen was a priest. He was a great spiritual writer of the last century. Uh, he sums up these, three, these temptations in this way, which I'm going to borrow. Uh, first temptation, I am what I do. The second, I am what others think of me. And the third, I am what I have. So I am what I do. How can we resist the lies of the devil that we must craft our own significance of the world? Let's look at the first temptation, verse 3. The tempter comes to Jesus and says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the Son of God. You know, it's as if Satan's saying, like, I mean, if you were the Son of God, would you really be here starving? Clearly, God has abandoned you. Writer Christopher Hurwitz phrases the temptation this way. If you're God's child, prove it. Do something. Show me your power and demonstrate who you are. Do something. The core of this accusation is that you are not enough as you are. You're deficient, and the only way you can justify your existence is by doing something to prove you're significant. Create bread. What do you think? Do people in our world struggle with proving their worth by what they do? This can look a lot of different ways. Uh, it could be the obvious one of I am what I do, therefore I must be perfect. Every part of my life I must control. And whenever I feel chaotic or out of control, I'll take my own little niche of reality, whether it's my family or my job um, or people's perception of me, and I must be perfect. Or maybe it's, I am what I do, therefore no one better stop me from doing. This could look like resisting control from anyone and everyone. If I am what I do, then I must be free to do what I do, and nobody can control me or tell me what to do. I have to be free to do what I'm passionate about. A less obvious one could be, I am what I do, but I don't feel like anything I do matters, so I don't matter. This could be someone who's easy to get along with, but reluctant to make decisions or speak up because it doesn't matter anyway. I am what I do, and what I do doesn't matter. I'm not significant. But notice how Jesus doesn't respond in any of these ways. Verse 4, Jesus says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's as if rather than proving his worth, Jesus resists that temptation. He essentially says, uh, why do I need to prove to you that I'm significant? What do I owe to you? Your words aren't the only words. And he quotes God's words back to him. He quotes scripture. And specifically, and this is interesting, everything that Jesus quotes to the devil is from the book of Deuteronomy. If you remember the book of Deuteronomy, it's basically Moses' sermon to the people of Israel when they're where? They're in the wilderness, right? People of Israel in the, are in the wilderness, and Jesus is in the wilderness. And it's as in this profound way at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is saying, I'm coming to be with my people where they are. I'm going to go out to the wilderness to where they are. I'm going to relive their experience. I'm going to be Israel for them right here at the beginning. And he says... Man should not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's like he's saying, I am more than what I do. Actually, I'm even more than what I eat. God provided manna for Israel in the desert, 
I know God's going to take care of me too. I don't have to prove anything. God places more significance on my life than I could ever get by doing. So that's the first temptation. God also places more significance than I could ever through my reputation. So look at the second temptation, which we're going to look at under the heading, I am what others say about me. Verse 5, the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Again, you see this subtle dig at Jesus, if you are the son of God. And he steps it up a notch here. Notice here, he's quoting scripture right back at him. Which I feel like is like on a kind of a side note, like this is why we shouldn't just like quote scripture out of context because if the devil is doing that, like clearly it can be misused and thrown around in this sort of way. But look at the, look at the lie here. Does God really love you? Are you sure? I mean, if he did, would he let you be out here in the wilderness? He wants Jesus to feel sorry for himself. He wants Jesus to think, if God thinks I'm significant, wouldn't he prove it by saving me? How do you think that manifests in your life? Is it, I am what people think of me, so I just need to serve them, serve them, serve them, so they'll value me. I am what I am to other people, so I must please them. And I feel trapped, I feel anxious when I don't know what someone else thinks of me. It could be, I am what people think of me, so I have to impress them. I need to identify the key influencers in my life, whether it's my boss or... Uh, my spouse's parent, and I must impress them. Uh, my, my world is defined by whether my professors like me, by whether I am doing the right things and achieving to gain their approval. A less obvious one, and this really seems to be the, what, what the direction Satan's going, uh, if others care about me, they'll, they'll prove it. Finding all sorts of reasons you know, when my friends don't let me, when, when my friends let me down to kind of read deeper into it. Like, look, if people cared about me, they would show it, but obviously no one cares about me. Nobody gets me. Um, I'm just going to kind of sink into myself and be cynical about the world. I'm not, I'm not significant. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus again responds, It is written, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. So short, just so, just doesn't, he doesn't go there. I know what the Lord has said. That's what Jesus is saying. I know what the Lord has said. I don't need to test him because he said everything he needs to. He said everything he needs to. God places more significance on your life than you could ever get by performing for somebody else. And finally, the last temptation I am what I have. Verse 8, the devil takes Jesus to a very high mountain and shows him all these kingdoms. He says to him, I'll give you all of these if you'll fall down and worship me. Now, whether or not he really has the authority to do that, we don't know. But this is what he offers Jesus. Now, it's like now, he's not, Satan's not even pretending to be supporting Jesus' relationship to the Father. Now, he's basically setting himself up against the Father and saying, Look, I'll give you everything. I'll make you significant if you only worship me. If you'll only go all in in this world to have what you think you need to be okay. 
the core accusation here, you don't have what it takes to do life without my help. And isn't that sort of the way, like even in our world, things are marketed, you know, when you see a commercial, like what it's presenting to you is like, look at your life and it's so sad and normal, and then look at this product or this thing or this service that make everything better, and like wouldn't your whole world be better if you had this, right? So like we live in this world of materialism and, and, and comfort, um, and we think that we don't have what we need to do life already, that we need something else outside of ourselves. And Satan, you know, it's like he's saying, if you were the son of God, wouldn't you have all these riches anyways? So let me help you out. Why do you have to suffer? Why go to the cross? You know what God's going to do. God doesn't care about you. God just sent you out here in the wilderness, and then a few years later you're going to die for these people who don't care about you, don't like you? Like, why not just shortcut all of that? I think we bind to this lie, too. It's the clear materialism of more, more, more. I am what I have, so I just, if I just had a little bit more possessions, if I just had this thing or this toy, or if I just had enough for a down payment on this house, or I could just put my, kid, my kids in this school, then it would be okay, then I would be secure. Um, it could be, I just need to know a little bit more before I can make a decision, before I can trust God. I need a little more information, I need a little more data, um, and if I just knew more, then maybe I could start giving, uh, but I need to hold things tight because the world's dangerous. I, I, need, I, need, to, I, I need to be stingy. Um, I can't give too much of myself away. It could be the world's a dangerous place, and so I need to find something that's going to keep me safe. Because I know like God's there, but he's not really looking out for me. I need this political ideology. Um, I need this like, particular group of friends to, to like me and look out for me. Um, I am what I have, and what I have isn't enough, so I need to be secure. Look at Jesus. Jesus says, be gone, Satan, verse 10, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I don't have to prove it. God places more value on my life than I could ever get by just getting more and more things. God places more value in your life than you could get by just getting and acquiring. No matter what our culture tells us, no matter what the world around, around us tells us. How is Jesus so firmly convinced though? I mean, why? Why should we believe this? How did Jesus know? He was looking back. Look back at the end of chapter three. He was remembering. This is what he was clinging to in the desert, desperately, more than food and water. He was clinging to his identity. Verse 17 God says to Jesus, this is my beloved son, or my son the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. He's saying, you're my son. You don't have to do anything to prove you're mine. You're already my son. You are more than what you do. You don't have to prove it. You're my son. You don't need to perform any actions to make it so. You're my son the beloved. I love you because I love you. Notice that Jesus said, God says this to Jesus before Jesus has even really done any ministry. Jesus is already the beloved before he goes out and minister, before, before he does miracles, before he goes to the cross. I love you because I love you. You don't have to perform for me. You are more than what others say of you. More than your reputation. And he says, in whom I am well pleased. My favor rests upon you your whole life long. 
I'm well pleased with you. What more could you possibly need? You don't need possessions. You don't need the kingdoms of the earth. Even they all belong to him anyways. I'm well pleased with you. And the Father cares that much about us too. He places that much significance on your life, more than you could ever get by doing, performing for others, or forgetting. He loves you so much he would give you his son. He loves you so much that his son would come all the way to us and identify with us. He would take on our life and our flesh. He would become us. I minister on a campus that's so desperate to hear this, to hear that you matter. Uh, one way to just think about what it's like to be on a college campus is just to like see it through the lens of this anxiety of people just who feel desperately insecure and are rushing around uh, trying to perform in classes and for their friends and they're anxious about the future and they know their parents are anxious about money so they're anxious about money. It's just there's always more and more and more and more. And isn't this true in your world too? Isn't this true in our world? After Bruce experiences the loss of his parents, he decides to fight back. He decides to fight back against, uh, against injustice. He tries to prove himself. He goes to train in the mountains with this guy, this teacher, Ra's al Ghul, in the Himalayan mountains, which just seems like a very appropriate, very kind of like picturesque place to go train to be like a ninja warrior superhero. And he tells him, his teacher tells him, what you really fear, Bruce, what you really fear is inwards. You must journey inside yourself. And he, he makes Bruce this sort of tea thing, and he makes him like smell the fumes. He like basically like drugs him and makes him hallucinate. He starts having flashbacks to the bats and to his parents. And then all these guys with swords come out, and Bruce has to fight them while fearing these bats. And they clear and they make a path, and he comes to this chest. He already sort of knows what's in the chest before he even gets there, and he knows what he's supposed to do. He opens the chest, and bats come out, of course. He falls on his knees and covers his head. But it's as if he realizes that he's okay. He stands up, and the bats swirl around him, and there's something changing in him, or he's not scared anymore. And he's actually able to go and build his, his lair in, a, in the cave that he fell as a child. He builds it in the bat cave. There's something about knowing Jesus that's just a little bit like that. There's something about knowing Jesus that Jesus will take you exactly to the place you're most scared to go. He'll take you to that place of shame, that place of fear. Maybe something that happened to you when you were embarrassed or you were ashamed. Maybe something uh, a parent said to you or didn't say to you that causes a great deal of pain. Jesus takes you to that place and he helps you to see, I've been there. I've been there for you. I've been there with you. I love you. You don't have to hide anymore. You can come out in the open and know that you too are my son and daughter, the beloved, with you I'm well pleased. Because if you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, you're in him. We don't just believe in a God that sort of died for us and is outside of ourselves. We believe in a God who came to earth and on the cross united himself to us. He took all of our pain and brokenness, so that when we see Jesus up in heaven now, we see ourselves. We see ourselves free of pain and anxiety. We see ourselves restored. What could it look like 
to fight back, like the way Bruce fights back against the fear of, the, uh, like, what would it look like for us to actually fight back? It could be just very simply spending time hearing the Father's word spoken over you. Just like Jesus in his head, he had to remember the Father's words. We need to remember the Father's words. Maybe waking up in the morning, spending time, first thing, hearing God's words over you. Be a little more mindful. Start counting the number of times the devil is in your head accusing you. It's really interesting. Sometimes we think what is the voice of God is really not the voice of God at all. It's part of why we need to spend time in the scripture so we know what Jesus sounds like. And that way when we know what Jesus doesn't sound like, you're not enough. What are you compared to that person? Well, yeah, your grade's okay, but look at that person over there. That's not what Jesus does. That's That's what the accuser does. That's what the devil does. What would it look like for you to actually befriend yourself, to love yourself as your neighbor, to start looking at what God is doing in you, to look at yourself not just as who you are now, but something glorious that God is creating in you that will one day be in glory? And then what would it look like for you to kind of like open your eyes a little bit and look outside of yourself to others, to look at others uh, as people in this narrative, this identity war, what they too are fighting for significance, what would it look like to come alongside a friend, someone here at church, someone at work, and to come alongside as an ally in this fight against the devil's lies? What if that was a little bit more of what evangelism evangelism looked like, is looking at how Satan was oppressing people and longing to step into the darkness of other people's lives and help them see light? How the Father places more significance on your life than you could ever gained by doing or performing or giving. Jesus faces the darkness for us because he's with us in the wilderness. So we too can hear the Father's words, you are my beloved children with whom I'm well pleased. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we believe, or we don't believe, or we want to believe, or would you help our unbelief? Jesus, would you help us to look at you and to see salvation? Jesus, would you help us to go to those places in our lives that we're scared to go? Would you help us to see how we're acting out of fear and anxiety uh, because we feel like we have to prove our own worth? God, would you help us to know that our worth is in you, that our greatest happiness, our greatest joy and value is in you, Jesus? Pray this in your name. Amen.